Good morning, everyone. It's so great to have you with us once again. My name is Matt. I'm a pastor here at Friendship Church, and we're excited that you're joining us this morning. Every time we do this, I try to imagine someone on the other side of that camera. I try to imagine you sitting there on your couch or you with your family. And as I was thinking about that over the course of this week, I have to admit, I miss you guys. God's made us for personal relationships. He's made us for face-to-face contact. And I miss seeing you guys. And I miss spending time with you guys. And I think there's a lot of you out there who miss your church family as well, friends. And we just want to acknowledge that and say, we, we all miss each other and we can't wait to the time when we can gather back together again. Uh, on a lesser level over the course of this week, I have also recognized how much I miss going to restaurants. Anyone else? Anyone else miss going? And I, I love to go and sit in a booth with my wife and somebody else cooks the food and brings the food and cleans the food. Everything is done for us. Boy, I kind of miss going out to eat. Anyone else? So when the restaurants reopen and we have an opportunity to dine in again, where's the first place that you're going to go? Where's the first restaurant that you're going to visit? Put, put it in the chat. I, I would love a resource page for myself. So put it in the chat, whatever restaurant that you want to go to first, when we can go to restaurants again, and let me know where you're headed. And we can all just grow hungry together as a list of those de- delicious places comes up in the chat. This is uh, the last week of our sermon series entitled, He is Able. And this sermon series has a key verse from Ephesians chapter 3, Verses 20 and 21, it says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God is at work in us in ways that are beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. And on Easter, we saw that he is able to forgive us all of our sins and save us entirely. Last week, we saw that he is able to remove all shame from our lives. And this week, we're going to look at the fact that our God is able to make us brand new. Doesn't that sound great? Brand new. Several years ago, there was a businessman who owned a warehouse that had been unoccupied for several years. He, he didn't feel like the warehouse was safe to go into, and so he didn't allow any employees to go in there, and he didn't want any of his merchandise in there either. And as that warehouse sat completely and totally unused, vandals came and broke all the windows and kicked off all of the doors. Thieves came in and stole piping and stole fixtures. There were floorboards that warped, and there was all kinds of water damage on the ceiling. He owned this eyesore, and he had no way to get rid of it because no one wanted to buy it. But then one day, an investor called the man and said, I'm interested in your property. And so the man went immediately and met the investor at the property. And as they began to walk around, he began to tell the investor all of the things that he was willing to do in order to make this sale happen. 
He would go ahead and reinforce the floors. He would go ahead and replace all of the windows. And as he was making his way through this list of all of the updates that he was willing to do in order to make this sale happen, the investor stopped him. And the investor said to him, forget about the repairs. When I buy this place, I don't want this old building. I'm tearing it down. I'm going to use this property to build something brand new. That's the story of our lives in Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't save us so that he could come in and sweep a few messes aside or so that he could paint over some old stains that we happen to have. Jesus saved us so that he could tear down the old us and build up a brand new us in its place. He wants to put a brand new me on this property. Are you kind of excited about the new you that God wants to make? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Galatians 6 affirms we are a new creation. Ephesians chapter 4 and Colossians chapter 3 say we are to put on the new person. And Romans chapter 6 says the old self has been crucified with Christ and we now walk in newness of life. God is making us new. What does that look like? What does it look like that God has made us new and is making us new? In all practicality, how are we new? Well, we don't have time to go into all of the different ways that the Bible describes our newness of life this morning, but I want to hit some of the highlights Because these highlights are ultimate hope in our life. They are absolutely praiseworthy as we hear these ways that God is making us new. Let's start with one that we talked about last week. Because of what Jesus has done, we have a brand new verdict. One of the pictures that appears most often in the scripture is of a courtroom. A courtroom where where God sits on the throne as our judge. And the scriptures tell us that Jesus is our lawyer in that courtroom. I don't know if you realize that, but the scripture is quite clear that Jesus is your attorney in that courtroom. That's pretty good counsel, isn't it? 1 John 2, verse 1 says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Now, the Greek word translated advocate there means an attorney or one who pleads a case in front of a judge. And so the courtroom scene is set. We stand before God, our judge. There is a prosecuting attorney. Who is that prosecuting attorney? It's Satan, who is called in the Bible the accuser. And he stands before God and he brings accusation after accusation against me. He's also referred to as the father of all lies. But i got to tell you guys, I don't think he has to lie and make much up when it comes to my life. Because I am guilty. I, I have sinned. I have been selfish. Satan can just tell the truth as the prosecuting attorney. Because Jesus is defending a guilty defendant. And so what is Jesus' argument on my behalf? Jesus doesn't argue my innocence. Instead, 
Jesus admits my guilt and that I deserve punishment. But then Jesus, my attorney, says, I have taken that guilt and that punishment upon myself on the cross so that Matt can have my righteousness in its place. So that now it can rightly be said, as Romans 8 chapter 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. My verdict has been changed because of what Jesus has done. No longer am I guilty. I am now innocent and righteous in the courtroom of God. We have a new verdict. And friends, if that doesn't make you stand up and do a happy dance in your living room, nothing will. I want to see posts of your happy dances, by the way. We have a new verdict. But the good news goes beyond that new verdict. And we find out that, in fact, God has given us new desires. When God saved us, he gave us a new nature. And he performed a heart transplant on us and gave us a new heart that has new desires. We now desire what he wills. We now desire the things that God desires. Look at what Romans chapter 6 says about our heart. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become, what? Obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. The Bible says there are only two paths. We are either pursuing God and righteousness, or we are pursuing sin and selfishness. And the Bible is quite clear that all of us are born pursuing sin and selfishness. But thanks be to God. When he saved us, he brought us off of that path of sin and selfishness and he replaced our old heart with a new heart that has new desires that wants to be obedient to his commands. Right? Obedient from the heart. And friends, there would be no lasting life change if God didn't give us this new nature and these new desires. New Changed life only comes out of new nature and new desires in our life. Let me give you a a silly illustration from my own life about how new desires are necessary in order to bring about real life change. When I was in late elementary school, I was hygienically challenged. I wore the same sweatpants to school every day. I picked two or three t-shirts that I would wear over the course of the week. All I cared about when I went to school was whether or not my team won the football game at recess. That was it. And so I dressed in sweats and t-shirt to be as ready as I could to play football every day. I never combed my hair. I didn't shower very often. My feet stunk so bad that if I went out and stood on top of an anthill in the front yard, I would kill every ant in the yard. I was hygienically challenged. And my parents tried to talk to me about this. They tried to encourage me to comb my hair occasionally, to go ahead and take a shower, to put on some better clothes occasionally than that same pair of sweatpants and the t-shirts. 
And when they would talk to me about these things, sometimes I would do them for a day or two. But then ultimately, I would wind up back in that old place, hygienically challenged once again. But all of that changed late in the sixth grade. And you know why, don't you? Because late in the sixth grade, I reached this place where all of a sudden, I started to recognize girls in a way I'd never recognized them before. Some of them were kind of attractive. Yes, many of them were pretty attractive. And so what happened? I began to take showers every day. I began to comb my hair. As a matter of fact, for the first time ever, I asked my parents if I could go and have a professional cut my hair. What? I began to wear nicer clothes when I went out. What took place? All of a sudden, I had this new set of desires. And out of that new set of desires, my daily life began to change. My parents had been talking to me about living that different life for months without any effect because genuine change wouldn't come about until my desires changed. And when my desires changed, my daily life changed. The Bible tells us that the law and the commandments, they were powerless to affect real change in God's people. And it wasn't until Christ came and through his death and resurrection brought salvation to our lives so that the Spirit of God would dwell within us so that we would have a new heart with new desires that we could live in a new righteousness. Thanks be to God, he has given us new desires through his salvation, friends. But he hasn't just given us new desires. The Bible teaches us He has also given us new power through him to carry out those desires. I I don't know about you, but I have this desire to do what is right all the time. I want to treat my wife perfectly every day. I want to raise my kids in total love and wisdom every day. But, But do I? No, because while I have these new desires, there is this old part of me that's constantly battling trying to keep those desires down, trying to keep me from, to, from fulfilling those new desires that God has given to me. But fortunately, I don't have to battle against that old me, that flesh on my own. God says he's given us new power, his power for the battle against sin and temptation. Our theme verse should be familiar by now. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. How great is God's power? It's immeasurable. So how would you measure it then? You can't. It's immeasurable. It's beyond measurement. That's how great God's power is. And friends, this passage says it's at work in you. Ephesians chapter 1 says it's the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead that is now at work in your life. That's astounding power that is at work in you. So that we have an ability 
to have that power at work in us battling against sin, battling against temptation in our life. Look at what 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. His divine power, how great is that power? It's immeasurable, absolutely immeasurable. And what is it doing? It's granting to you everything that pertains to life and godliness. God's power is at work in you so that in any decision that you face in life, you no longer have to be overpowered by sin and temptation, but can instead, through the power of God, choose what is right. Now, does that mean we do that each and every time? Absolutely not. Right? We still have sin in our lives. There are still times that even though we have all the power necessary, we still don't live in that power. And we still sin. That's why 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 7, The good that I want to do, I don't seem to be able to do, and the bad I don't want to do, I seem to be doing all the time. Who can rescue me from this body of death? Our reality is we don't live in perfection. But our reality is also that we never face a decision in our lives where we have to give in to sin and temptation in our life because of God's great power that dwells in you. That's why 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Because of the God, power of God in our lives, we don't ever have to face a temptation and sin again that overwhelms us. Whatever defeated you last week doesn't have to defeat you, friend, this week. Were you defeated last week by dishonesty? Did you tell lies? It doesn't have to defeat you this next week, and this next week can be a week of truth because the power of God dwells in you. Were you defeated this last week by, by lust or pornography in your life? Were you defeated this last week by using your words to tear others down or gossiping about other people? Were you defeated this last week by judgment and criticism? You don't have to be defeated by those things the next week because the power of God dwells in you and there is no sin that has to overcome you. He stands with you and has given you new power so that we can grow in him. No longer do we have to sin, but in each and every decision, we can choose what is right through the power of God. And because we have these new desires and this new power that helps us to carry it out, we are growing in new character. Because God's power is at work in us, helping to enliven these desires and helping us to live them out in obedience to Jesus Christ, we are growing year after year, in greater Christ-likeness, more and more like his character. There is a list of the fruit that make up Christ-like character in Galatians chapter 5 that may be familiar to you. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. 
And I want to remind you again today that fruit are a byproduct. You don't get fruit by working really hard to make fruit. Fruit are a product of a healthy connection between a branch and the stem of the tree, right? That, that trunk of the tree. And a healthy tree. And that health produces fruit. And in the same way, friends, we don't get fruit by aiming at fruit. I can't become more patient in my life by just chanting patience over and over again. I can't become kinder in my life by beating myself every time that I don't act with kindness towards someone. That's not the way it works. We don't aim at the fruit. I don't have any ability to produce these things in my life. They're not the fruit of Matt's goodness. They're not the fruit of Matt's hard work. They are the fruit of the Spirit. And it's only God's Holy Spirit that can produce them in us. But as we talked about over and over again here, that doesn't mean that we don't have a role to play. Jesus is very clear in John chapter 15 that we have a role to play in the production of this Christ-like character and fruit in our lives. We want to live in the newness of life that God has for us. God says, you have a part to play in that. And John 15 outlines that part for us when it says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do how much? You can do nothing. What is our role if we're going to live in this new character and this newness of life? We're to abide with Jesus. The Greek word here, meno, means to be one or be knit together. And we're to knit our daily lives together with Jesus. And as we spend more and more personal time with him, being with him in his word, being with him in prayer, being with him in encouraging Christian community, knitting our life together with him, he produces the fruit through the power of his Holy Spirit in our life to produce brand new character in us. Right? That, that's exciting, but we have a role to play. If we want to live in that newness of life in our daily life right now, we're to meno, we're to abide in Jesus. And he produces that new character in us. And friends, there will come a day when that new character is perfected and we are totally and completely like Jesus, and that day will come when we are with him in heaven. Because God has given us a new destiny in him. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Because of what Jesus has done on my behalf, my old destiny is canceled. No longer is my destiny perishing because my verdict is no longer guilty. But instead, because my verdict is now innocent or righteous, I now have a new destiny, and that new destiny is eternal and everlasting life with God. And God says that eternal, everlasting life that we'll spend with Him will be spent in a new heaven and a new earth, enjoyed in new perfect bodies. Romans chapter 22, verse 3 
says that the new heaven and the new earth that God is designing for us will be totally free from the stain of sin and the curse of sin. Can you imagine how good that is going to be? No more viruses. No more natural disasters. No more of the mess that encompasses our world because of the stain of sin and the curse of sin. Instead, perfection. 1 Corinthians 15 says, we will have the opportunity to enjoy this new heaven and new earth in perfectly new bodies that will last forever, that will never break down, that are so great you can't compare them to what we are living in right now, even when those bodies are at their best. And Psalm 1611 says that we will enjoy eternal pleasures at God's right hand forevermore. You cannot compare our current life and current world to what God is making for us in the new heaven and the new earth and the life that he has designed for us. You can't compare them. As I was thinking about this this week, my mind flashed back to a painting that I saw when I was a teenager. Uh, Are you familiar with the painting, The Coronation of Napoleon, by the 17th century artist David? When I was a teenager, I had an opportunity to go to Paris with my parents. And as a part of that trip to Paris, of course, we had to go to the Louvre. Now, I was a teenager, and I had no interest in art. So as we were walking around, we're looking at statues, and we're looking at paintings, and I'm going, yeah, that's nice, that's great. Yeah, there's the Mona Lisa. Boy, that's not very big. I wonder why there's a bunch of people crowded around it. Had no interest in art whatsoever. But when we walked into this one room, all of a sudden, as someone who wasn't interested at all in art, I was overwhelmed by this painting, The Coronation of Napoleon. In part because it is 35 feet wide by 25 feet high. And despite how massive it is, it contains unbelievable amounts of intricate detail. And I stood there as a 16-year-old with no interest in art, just overwhelmed at the mastery that it had to take in order to produce something like that. And when I think about that kind of great art, and I let it represent the new heaven and the new earth and our new bodies that God is preparing for us, I think about what kind of art would represent our current existence. And I think the art that would best represent our current existence by comparison is probably the stick figures that I often draw on napkins. I mean, they're both drawings. They both contain people. But what you're probably saying right now is you can't compare those things. They're in different ballparks or different leagues or whatever cliche you want to pull out at this point. You just can't compare them. And in the same way, you can't compare our existence now with the existence God has for us in the new heaven and the new earth. The greatest experiences we have had in God's creation pale in comparison to what he has for us. Maybe you've stood at the edge of the Grand Canyon and been overwhelmed by its size, its majesty, and its beauty. Maybe you have sat in the Rocky Mountains and looked at those snow-capped peaks and been overwhelmed by how beautiful they are. And again, the majesty of what God has made. Those are damaged goods compared to what God has for us in the new heaven and the new earth that are untouched by the curse of sin. 
Think about the greatest relational times that you've ever had. Those kinds of times with friends where when you're in them, you wish that that would never end. Those are damaged goods compared to the perfection of relationship that we are going to enjoy. The depth of of intimacy and pleasure and enjoyment that we're going to have in each other's company in our new and perfected state. But of course, most importantly, we're going to have new and never before experienced access to God Almighty. Revelation chapter 21 verse 3 says that it is then that the dwelling of God will be with mankind. He will dwell with us in a way that is fully realized for the first time. And Revelation chapter 22 verse 4 says, It is then that we will see the primary glory of God, what the Bible refers to as the face of God. Throughout the scripture we are told that no one can see God's face and live. Because of our sinful state, no one can see the primary glory of God and live. But we're told in Revelation 22.4 that in our new, perfected, sin-free bodies, we will be able to dwell on the very center of the glory of God. And we will experience such magnificence, such beauty, such glory, that we will be overwhelmed with pleasure like we are unable to experience on this life. And Psalm 16.11 says it will be eternal pleasure forevermore at his right hand. I'm kind of looking forward to that. Anyone else? God has given us a new destiny. That is what it means that he has made us new. Look at this list. We have, because of the work of Jesus Christ, a new verdict. He has given us new desires that want to do his will. We have new power in him. And because of that, we have new character, and of course, we have a new destiny that we look forward to and we long for with all of our heart. God is able. He is able to make us new. He has no desire to come into your life and just sweep out a little bit of the dirty mess. He has no desire to come into your life and just paint over some old stains. He has every desire to come into your life and tear down the old you and build a brand new you in its place. And I want to give him thanks for that. Would you guys just spend a moment, bow your heads with me, and let's give God thanks for the newness of life that he is giving to us as his children. Pray with me. Father, we give you all thanks and honor because you are making us new. We recognize the truth that you have made us new. You today are making us new, and there is a sense in which we will be made fully and finally new in the kingdom to come. And we are thankful for the work of Jesus Christ that makes this possible. And we look forward this week to living in that newness of life as we abide with you. And you produce those new fruit in our life, in levels that we've never before seen as we walk with you and enjoy life with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, friends, every time that we have done our online service on Sunday morning like this, we've given you some discussion questions to go through. And if you're by yourself, I'd encourage you to spend some time going through those discussion questions in your journal 
Or if you're with your family, you can do those discussion questions with your family and spend time going through those discussion questions with them. And I want to read those discussion questions to you now. Uh, Questions like, what is something you find exciting about being a new creation? Or what can you do this week to feed the Spirit in the war against the flesh? Yeah, what, what can you do in order to dwell with Jesus, to be knit together with him, to win that war of spirit over flesh? How can you, I'm um, sorry, how have you seen new power and new character in your life recently? How can you increase your focus on your eternal destiny? And how has God encouraged you as we've looked at his ability to forgive completely, remove all shame, and give us a brand new life? How has God encouraged you as we have studied the fact that he is able. In just a minute, we're going to have an opportunity to go through those discussion questions in our homes. But before we do that, I I want to encourage us to continue to worship in song as we sing about God's greatness again. And as we do, you can consider giving to God in a way out of your love and faith in him. Uh, Of course, we're not giving hand-to-hand right now, but instead you can give online or you can give through the app or you can simply send in a check to the church's address. But we want to worship our God by lifting Him up in song and by giving to Him of the things that are most valuable. And I encourage you to do that now. Let's lift up our hearts and souls to Him in complete worship. As we close our service today I just want to encourage you with this last song to let it be a prayer between you and the Lord Uh, you don't necessarily have to sing at the top of your lungs but I really want you to to pray it in your heart how much you love the Lord and uh, how much he is our hope and how we have that hope of heaven to come
Son's name we pray. Amen.